something I hear occasionally as a, as a pastor um, from different people. It's usually from people who have just come to Jesus Christ or are really growing in Jesus Christ. They say things to me like that. My friends and family think I've gone off the deep end. They say, uh, they think I'm losing it. They think I'm getting weird. Um, they think I'm really out there. And you know what I always say to them when they say that to me? I always say, yay. I say, I say, yay. Because weirdness, weirdness is a sign of true conversion. Weirdness is a sign of true conversion. I always tell them, I say, yes, you are weird in the very best way. In an awesome way that those around you really don't understand. They really don't understand. God says we're weird. God says His people are weird. We're supposed to be. And so when someone tells me this, when they intimate that I'm strange or, or, or odd or weird, I embrace it. I love it. Because I know I'm supposed to be that. Six times in the Bible, God says, if you have the King James Version, this is how the King James translates it, and I like the King James Version in this instance, but six times God says, my people are a peculiar people. My people are a peculiar people. I looked it up in the dictionary. It means unusual, eccentric, odd, strange, weird, abnormal, atypical, distinct, particular, exclusive, and unique. Now God means all those things, but God means something else too when He says peculiar. He means this, they belong to me. That's one of the definitions of peculiar in your dictionary. It says belonging distinctively to a person or group. God means to say that my people belong to me and they are peculiar because they are mine. This is what God is saying. I looked at the, some of the other English translations apart from the King James and they say things like this. We are God's own people. We are God's own possession. We belong to God. Jesus said that His people are what? In the world, but what? But not of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. So when people say, my family think they think I'm going over the deep end, I always smile to myself and I, and I, and I say yay. And I, and I know that can create tension. I, I, I can give you lengthy testimony of my understanding of how tension can, can come into the family when you have a person who has come to Christ and, per and another person who does not know Christ. And I, and I understand that. But what I want to say to you is that you are peculiar in the best, most excellent, most superlative way. So if your friends and your family think you're a little strange, it's probably because God is at work in your life. I mean, there may be some other reasons. <laughs> but if you call yourself a Christian, you've been recently converted... Um, it's probably because God is at work in your life. I had a seminary professor. He used to say this in a most unique way. I've shared this with you many times, but I love it and I'm going to share it with you again. He used to say he would encounter a man or a woman who, who was uh, truly in love with Christ. I mean, really living that sold-out life for Christ. And he would always say, man, that guy smells like God. So that guy smells like God. And he was, 
He was borrowing Paul's phrase from 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16. Thanks be to God who manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Brothers and sisters, if you claim to be a Christian this morning, you're supposed to smell like God. And that's going to be a peculiar smell to the unbelievers around you. We humans have almost an irresistible need to conform. We have this herd mentality. It's almost like we cannot help ourselves. We want to conform to the herd. How many of you know what lemmings are? Does anybody know what a lemming is? A lemming is a, a, a Scandinavian, Scandinavian zoological phenomenon. Every three to four years, lemmings, they're like little rodents, little fat furry rats, okay? And every three to four years, they will just up and migrate. They just, in one monolithic mass, they will just, they will just rise up and head east or west or south or north. They just, they go, every one of them. Not one of them stays behind. Not one of them says, I don't know if I want to go with those guys or not. They go. You know what happens when they get to the sea? They just jump right in. They just jump right into the sea. Well, of course, in short order, they're all drowned. And what I want to say to you is, this is the way mankind is by and large. We just fall in mindlessly, uncritically. We just fall in and we just conform. But God says, my people aren't like that. God says, my people do not follow the herd. That is one of the peculiarities of the people of God. We do not compromise with the world. Now, sometimes compromise is a good thing, right? Sometimes we need to be conciliatory and cooperative, and we need to find mental, middle ground. But there's one thing that we will never seek to find middle ground on. Does anybody know what it might be? It's the Word of God. When it comes to what God says, we do not compromise. We do not bargain. We do not negotiate. We do not try to find middle ground. If God has spoken explicitly, He means what He says. And as His sons and daughters... He expects us to live by His Word. God expects His people to be an uncompromising people. We are not to follow the course of least resistance. We are to walk with God. And those are never the same thing. The course of least resistance is never the same as walking with Jesus Christ. Walking with Jesus Christ will always be against the grain. It will always be against the cultural grain always. It never is not against the cultural grain. It puts it to be, to be doers of the Word puts us, puts us at odds with the culture. God says this is non-negotiable. Non I love what He says in James chapter 4. God says friendship with the world is what? Does anyone know? Hostility toward God. 1 John 2 says this, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God expects His people to be an uncompromising people. In the next week or two, don't know, maybe three, don't know yet, waiting to hear from uh, the boss on it, um, I, I'm going to speak to you about why ICM exists. Why we exist, what our purpose is, 
and what our vision is. And as I thought about this week, I thought it, I thought it would be good to share with you one of our non-negotiable principles in this church. Okay? One of our non-negotiable principles that undergirds all that we say, all that we believe, and all that we do. We do not compromise on God's Word. Never. Never. We never do. We seek to be an uncompromising church, and the, and the thrust of this message will be that I'm going to challenge you as your pastor individually, that you would be uncompromising Christians. No more vacillation, no more indecision, no more waffling, no more wavering. When I leave here today, I'm an uncompromising follower of Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground for me anymore. I am a peculiar person. I belong to the Father. And I'm on my way home to Him, and on my way, I'm going to magnify Him in my life. And when we obey His Word in an uncompromising way, He is magnified in my life. As we talked about so many times when we were studying that great text, Hebrews 11, I could preach Hebrews 11 every Sunday, I think for the rest of my life. We are going to be real men and women who believe in a real God and have a real impact on the real world. That's who we want to be at the International Church of Milan, praying huge for God to show His glory through us. We don't want to just be another sleepy little international church. We're praying for God to come down and do miracles in the lives of internationals as well as Italians. We didn't come here to be comfortable and sleepy and just do church as usual. Karen and I came here, we were led of God to come here to open our mouths wide and expect Him to pour and to expect God to pour His blessing through this church. And I'm going to take a page from Mueller's book, you know, Psalm 8110, where he, that's, when, that's that passage he took and, and he started doing all these awesome things for the Lord because the Lord says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it up. And I want us at ICM to just, be, just have our mouths wide open and asking God to flush His blessing through us into the world around us, internationals and Italians. We have no confidence in modern church growth strategies. We don't employ modern church growth strategies. We don't, we don't do the seeker-sensitive model. We don't do these things because we stand on a promise that is 2,000 years old. Here is our confidence as a church. Right here. Jesus said it to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. Listen to this. You're going to love this. Listen to what Jesus says. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. Okay? That's what's in front of us as a church. There's an open door right in front of us. Same thing for you individually. There's an open door right in front of us. Listen to what he says. No one can shut it. No one can shut the door I open. And no one can open the door I shut. This is what the Lord Jesus says. He says no one can shut it. And because you have a little power, what's the little power? Some commentators say it's grace. Some commentators say it's faith. Jesus says, well, you have a little faith and you have kept my word and you have not denied me. So he opens the door. Friends, that's the promise that the International Church of Milan stands on. We will keep his word and we will not deny him. We will preach all the truth. Not just the warm, fuzzy parts. So our confidence is in God. 
Our confidence is in God. And we hold fast to His Word. And in conjunction with that promise in Revelation, go read your Bibles and just check it out and see what God does in the lives of men and women who honor Him and keep His Word. Just go read your Bibles and check it out. God is faithful. God is faithful to those who are uncompromising as they seek to keep His Word. And I want to illustrate that this morning from the book of Daniel. So if you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. You heard Scott read Daniel chapters from Daniel chapter 3. We'll be there in a minute. Daniel chapter 1. Very briefly, uh, Scott was good to give us the context. Uh, God's judgment has fallen on the, on the southern kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Judah, because they have persistently uh, spurned God and, and persisted in their sin. So God's judgment comes in the form of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. Daniel is one of the young Jewish nobility who is taken into exile. Nebuchadnezzar has a shrewd policy toward conquered peoples. He will take these young men, probably 14, uh, 14 to 17 years old. It's, they're the best and the brightest uh, from the Hebrew nation. He brings them into his royal courts. He puts them in his schools. And I'm, I'm, you can see this in verse 4 and 5. The things I'm saying to you are in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 1. He uh, puts them in their schools. He, he, he gets them used to luxurious living. They're eating from the king's table, verse 5. And in a very short time, they have effectively become little Babylonians. They are no longer Hebrews in a practical sense. They have become little Babylonians. It's, it's one long premeditated seduction. It's kind of what Satan's doing to you and me if we'll cooperate with him. One long premeditated seduction. Scholars tell us that probably only about 75 young men were taken at this particular um, exile. Okay, Verse 6 and 7 tell us that, that Daniel was among these 75 men and so were his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these are the Persian names that they've been given, right? Uh, Daniel also has been given a Persian name. So, we read verse 8. But Daniel... I love this. This is the whole sermon right here. I could just stop, but I'm not going to. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Okay, let, let's, let's think about it. He's going to have to go into this secular education program and his name's been changed. Okay, why does he draw the line on the diet? It's real simple. You know why? You guys already know why, I bet. Because there are strict dietary commands that God has laid down in His Word for the Old Testament Jew. Now Daniel, will, he, he, can, he can cooperate with them about the secular education. There's no, there's no explicit command from God against that. He can cooperate with them about the name change. He doesn't like it, but he'll go along with it. But when it comes to the Word of God, he draws the line. He'd made up his mind. He'd made up his mind that he would not transgress the law of God. And friends, what I want to say to you is we can learn an infinite amount here from this 14-year-old boy. Let me ask you, have you made up your mind 
Is your mind set on this, that you will not disobey what you know the Word of God to clearly say to you? I love this. It not only makes for an uncompromising life, it makes for an uncomplicated one. You don't have to get up every morning and try to figure out where the lines are. You already know where the lines are drawn. The lines are drawn wherever God drew them. You don't have to burn all this mental energy and have all this anxiety in your heart. Well, should I do that? Should I not do that? If God says no, it's done. It's simple. I want to challenge you this morning. Wherever, wherever you're struggling right now, wherever God is challenging you right now, in your walk, I want you to make up your mind this morning. I want you to make up your mind to believing, to trusting. It's not only an uncompromising life, it's, it's uh, an uncomplicated one. I love that. Daniel said, Daniel had made up his mind. And what I want to say to you is, we have made up our mind at ICM. We will stand on the Word of God. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. To be an uncompromising, glad, reckless, joy, doer of the Word of God. An uncompromising, glad, reckless, joy, doer of the Word of God. From this point in your life, until the day you stand before Him. I want you to make up your mind this morning that that's going to be true of you. You know, Daniel's no different than you or I. He had a lot of reasons to compromise. He could make a strong case for compromising on this point. Well, he's just a kid for one thing. He's a prisoner of war for another. He doesn't want to incur the wrath of the king. Nebuchadnezzar's not your all-time nice guy. He knows what would happen. And he wants to fit in like you and me. He wants, he wants to advance. He wants to do well. He wants people to like him just like you and me. He wants all these things. And you know he's in a predicament. And you're going to know what I'm saying when I say this. He's in a predicament where you know he could just kind of blame God. He said, well, God, you put me here. This is your fault. This is your fault that I'm having to do this. You know, sometimes you hear even Christians blaming God. He had, he had every reason to compromise. But look what it says. He made up his mind. It didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter how unpopular it made him. It didn't matter if the king's wrath came down on him. He made up his mind. And I want you guys to do the same. I am challenging you to be a peculiar man and a peculiar woman in this world. I'm challenging you to be atypical and unusual and unique. And yes, when it comes down to it, you just be downright weird. Because that's what God has called His children to be. I love Daniel. You know, he made up his mind. He's living the whole Colossians 3, 1 and 2 thing. Where Paul says, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Daniel's feet were in... Babylon, but his head was in heaven. Let me ask you, is that how you're living your life? Is that how you're living your life? Is your heart in your head in heaven? 2 Timothy 1.7, God says, I have not given My people a spirit of timidity and fear, but of power, love, and discipline. You don't have a spirit of fear, Christian. 
You don't. If you're fearful and afraid to obey God, that's something you're bringing to the table. God says, I give you not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Are you appropriating the power of God? Let me just say it. All the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New, God unapologetically calls us to be uncompromising and to be unashamed. You know, many, many Christians are just ashamed. They're just ashamed to speak the truth. They're ashamed of, of the Lord. Remember what Jesus says in Mark 8.38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, not many, when it comes down to it, not many will really stand. Not many will really stand. We, we see here that, that uh, only four men out of probably 75, only four men out of 75 have made up their minds to stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you heard, uh, you heard Scott read the text. Turn over to, to uh, Daniel chapter 3. And you heard him read the text. I'm not going to reread the text. But you know the situation. Nebuchadnezzar wanted everybody to bow down to this, this 90 foot, can you believe it, golden image. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do it. They, they had made up their minds. And, you, and I'm going to read this again because you need to have this in your heart. You know what they say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, they answered to the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer in this concerning this. They're, they're not... This is not disrespectful. They're saying, we have no, no defense and we will not reconsider. This is what they're saying. Okay, we have no defense and we will not reconsider in this matter. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom, who, who we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. You've got to love this. I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But even if He doesn't, I'm not bowing down to your God. <laughs> I want you to see two things. They say, we may die, but we will not compromise. Let me ask you, out in the world, have you made up your mind to live like that? You know, none of us in here are probably going to be martyred, probably not going to happen. Praise God. We live, in a safe and we, we live in a safe part of the world. Praise God. But there's a whole lot of ways to compromise. Let me ask you, have you made up your mind not to compromise? Have you made up your mind not to compromise? We have at the International Church of Milan, you know, whether we have five people or 1,005 people, and I'd love to have 1,005 people, I really, really would, but I'm not going to change the message to attract people to come. You know, if we have five or, or 1,005, that's God's business. I'm going to preach the Word. Karen's going to teach the Word. Our Bible studies are going to teach the Word. That's who we are. That's what we're going to do. And I challenge you to do the same thing. That is your job description as a Christian. Real simple. Do the Word. Don't compromise on it. Just do it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did their job. And... and and Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, verse 19. And he says, heat the furnace seven times hotter than normal. Verse 20, and he tied them up. Verse 22, and the flames 
slew the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the fire. The men that threw them in were, were consumed by the fire. Okay? Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. He stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. Verse 25, He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed in walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth one is like the son of the gods. What happened? What happened? The fourth man in the fire appears like a son of the gods. What happened? Christ came. Pre-incarnate Christ. There He is. He came to His uncompromising men. He came to them in the fire. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, when you uncompromisingly obey God, He will be there. And you know, it's like even Stephen, the first martyr of the church in the New Testament over in Acts. Yeah, Stephen got stoned. You say, well, it didn't go so good for Stephen. Wrong. Do you remember what, you remember as Stephen was, was being stoned, do you remember what happened? Jesus Christ opened up the windows of heaven and allowed Stephen to see the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And you know, you always read it. This is my take. This is Jim Albright in the white spaces, okay? But you, you, uh, you always read that Jesus is seated at the right hand of power. Stephen sees Him standing at the right hand of power. And this is just my opinion. That Jesus stands to meet His first martyr. He stands to meet his first martyr. So it, go, it, it seems to go bad for Stephen in a temporal sense. But Jesus has shown himself to Stephen. And Stephen's on his way home. And Stephen won't change. You go ask him when you get there. Stephen, would you have changed one thing? He'll say no. He'll say no. God comes to his people when they are uncompromising and they stand on his word. I heard a, a preacher preach this text one time and he had four points and it was really good. I really liked it. He said, these men are different. They are dedicated, they are daring, and they are delivered. I, you know, I'm not smart enough to do the whole D thing and stuff like that, but, but they're different, they're dedicated, they're daring, and they are delivered. And I thought that was really good, but there's one point he's missing. And it may be the most important point. Let me share with you verse 26, 27, 28, 29. And Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the blazing fire and he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Come on out of there, you servants of the Most High God. And all the officials gathered round and they noticed it, verse 27, they noticed that there was no effect on the body of these men and, and their hair was not singed nor their trousers damaged uh, nor had the, the smell of fire even come upon them. Verse 28, look what Nebuchadnezzar... Now, these men are uncompromising. Look what unbelievers do. This is what I want you to see. When you're uncompromising, what I want you to see is what happens in the unbelievers' lives around you. Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who delivered his servants, in whom 
He put their trust. Therefore, verse 29, I will make a decree that any nation, people, or tongue that speak against uh, that speak anything offensive against this great God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb to limb, because there is no God like Him. Friends, this is what men and women, unbelievers, are supposed to see in your life. They're supposed to see that He's real and that there is no God like Him. This is why God will put you in a test. This is why God will test your faith. This is why you'll be in hard situations, in hard circumstances, because He expects you to stand and He expects to be seen through you that the unbelievers around you may. I love this. This is powerful stuff, man. This is powerful stuff. The same thing was true with Daniel. You remember Daniel? Uh, they'd set a trap for him, and, and they knew the only way that the, the guys hated him in the courts, you know, because he was the, he was the number one, and they all hated him. And, and uh, they said, we're going to set a trap for him. We'll, we'll issue a decree that no one can pray except to the king. No, you can't pray to any god except to the king. And they set that trap because they knew Daniel was going to keep praying. Daniel kept praying, right? You know what happens. He gets caught praying. He's uncompromised. He, he, he's going to pray. He gets thrown in the lion's den. What happens? God protects him, right? And King Darius at this time, when he sees this, this is what King Darius says. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For He is the living God and He endures forever. And I'm reading from chapter 6, verse 26. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and His dominion will be forever. As your pastor, I challenge you this morning to be uncompromising. I'm going to close with a story. It's a true story. It's from a book uh, entitled A Distant Grief. It's written by a, an African pastor. His name was Kifus Sanpangi. Kifus Sanpangi. Most of you are too young to remember Idi Amin. He, uh, he was a ruthless dictator back in the 70s in Uganda. Um, and Kifus Sanpangi um, was a pastor of a Christian church there, and therefore he was a target of the uh, secret police. Easter Sunday morning, 1973. <laughs> 7,000 people showed up at his church. This is at the height of the persecution. 7,000 people. They were in awe. There was no room for them. And they went outside and people were sitting in trees and on the roofs and they were spilling out into, into the streets. And he preached for three and a half hours. And he tried to close the service and they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him. I know that's how you feel sometimes. You just want me to keep preaching. I know. But they wouldn't let him. And one guy shouted out. He said, Pastor, he says, go rest yourself and come back and preach to us some more. So since Bangi, he went, he went in and, and he rested for an hour and he came back out and no one had left. You know why? People in the midst of persecution, they need the Word of God. It's not something they do if it's convenient. It's not something they do when they have time. They need to hear from God. No one had left. He preached three more hours. And he finally made him go home because it was not safe. It was not safe to travel after dark. So he, he sent him home. He sent him home. And when he got home, obviously, 
This did not escape the, the notice of the secret police, the 7,000 member gathering. And there were five Ugandan secret police waiting for him at his home. And he said, I knew I was dead. The, the leader of the, of the secret police, he said, we are here to kill you unless you stop preaching. This is what he said. I'm going to read it verbatim. I do not need to plead my cause. And let me tell you this. He was so scared, he said, he heard a voice and then he realized it was him. He said he was so scared he about fell over. But he, he said it was like God stiffened his knees. And he said this, I do not need to plead my cause. I am a dead man already. I am dead in Christ Jesus, but I will live forever in him. And then he says, it is you who are in grave danger. And I pray that after you kill me, God will spare you from eternal damnation. And as he waited for the bullet to strike, the leader of the police asked him, he said, why are those widows in your congregation praising and singing to the Lord? How can they do that? They've lost their husband. They've lost their only means of support. We've killed them. Why do they praise God? And since Bangi says, because they are loved by God and they will live forever in Him. He is now their husband. And then shockingly, the leader of the secret police asks Sanspangi to pray for them. And he thought it was just a cruel joke. He thought, when I begin to pray, they're going to put a bullet in the top of my head. But he said, what a, way, a great way to go, right? You know what he prays? He says, Father in heaven, you who have forgiven men heinous things in the past, I pray you forgive these men for killing me. Do not let them perish in their sins, but bring them to yourselves. And when he, when he looked up, their faces were different. Their faces were different. Their faces, the countenance on the face of these five Ugandan secret police, it was different. They had been changed. They were changed men. And the leader says, you have helped us and we will protect you. And they left. Kephas Sinspangi had made up his mind. He was different. He was dedicated. He was daring. And he was delivered. And that's what I'm exhorting you to be this morning. We're going to close a little differently this morning. I just thought it would be good in light of the sermon that we would have a time of commitment to the Lord. And uh, Adam's going to come and play. And as he plays, you're welcome to pray or sing or confess, repent. Talk to me if you want to, whatever. Talk to your neighbor, talk to your wife. It's just a time of commitment because there's probably some here who need to do some business with God. Uh, there may be some here who need to publicly profess Christ as Lord and Savior and follow Him in baptism. There's probably some here who need to confess and repent from an habitual sin. There's some here that need to commit to begin to honor God in their finances. There's some here that need to commit to serve this church in some way. There's some here that need to commit to forgive someone or to ask for forgiveness. There may be someone here who needs to uh, surrender to full-time Christian ministry. 
I don't know. But whatever you need to do this morning, I exhort you to do it with the Lord. I exhort you to make up your mind to be an uncompromising, glad, reckless, joy doer of the Word.